Hi, Ear Polygamy listeners. It's the end of the year, and if you haven't made a donation yet to the Year Polygamy podcast, now's your chance. I'd love for you to go to yearpolygamy.com and make a donation. Help make my December, and I'll continue to make yours by putting out insane content that is both informative, sometimes disturbing, but ultimately important as we raise awareness about these issues. Thanks for giving, and thanks for listening, and I hope you're all having a wonderful holiday season. Hi everyone, it's Lindsay, and before we get started, I just want to say a quick aside to this episode. As you listen, I want you to recognize something that I recognize, which is we're talking a lot about building bridges in this episode, we're talking a lot about continuing dialogue, furthering conversation, and I want to recognize that this is really easier said than done, especially for someone like me. Brian Hyde and I are both two white people coming from similar backgrounds. And I think it's probably easier for us to build bridges than it is for other people. So I want to be clear that I recognize that this kind of dialogue is not for everyone. One of my good friends, Fatima Saleh, really taught me something a few years ago when she talked about leveraging our privilege for good in the corners of the world where we are responsible for. I think Brian and I are trying to do that. What we're doing is we're stepping in front of marginalized and the voiceless, and then we're stepping aside. So as you listen, I want you to recognize that I'm a white American woman with a lot of privileges in this world. And Brian and I are just committed to furthering dialogue in the corners of the world where we can. We're not asking everyone to step up in these corners. We both have networks, we both have audiences, and we're committed to listening to one another and to hearing, hearing ideas that challenge us. Now, some people would say some ideas, some communities, some people aren't redeemable, some ideas aren't redeemable, and we shouldn't be working in communities um, with ideas that are so different than ours. But I think I disagree, and again, it's my privilege that allows me to disagree with that. I have an opportunity in communities where it's easier for me to have dialogue than it is for other people, and so I'm going to use that access responsibly, and I hope that I did that here. This was not an easy interview to have, not because of the conversation, but because of what it means to listeners. I recognize that people that do feel at odds with the communities that we're talking about might feel uncomfortable. These conversations really aren't for you today. These are for those of us who have the access and the privilege and the bandwidth to have these kind of conversations. And so I'm committed to doing that. I'm committed to fighting oppression in the communities that I serve in and to building bridges where I have access and energy to do so. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Year of Polygamy podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay. And tonight is going. we're doing something a little special. I'm not talking about polygamy. I'm not talking to um, a polygamist. I... I'm talking to someone who has a lot in common with me, but also has a very different audience. And uh, we're going to be talking about something that is really near and dear to my heart. I, I work in a lot of communities where I disagree with people, and um, I've had to learn a lot along the way. 
And it's it's a hard it's a hard struggle to do work where you are public and you're in communities uh, where you have opinions and people disagree with you. So I'm bringing on someone who knows a lot about that. Brian Hyde. Brian, can you say hello? Hello there. Okay, so Brian, tell us tell us who you are. Tell my audience who you are and what you do, and then we can kind of talk about why we decided to do this. Okay, I've, I've been a radio host. Uh, I just I just was looking at the calendar, and it was 34 years ago this month that I started my career in radio. Wow. I, I was going to be the next Casey Kasem for people who are old enough to remember who Casey Kasem was. Um, if you ever watched Scooby-Doo, he was the voice of Shaggy. I got to say, you do, like when did you start that? When you were like three years old? You do not look uh, like you're 34. Right out of high school. Right out of high school. So it's... Uh, I, I had every intention of being actually probably more like the next Howard Stern or um, uh, Don Imus. But somewhere along the way, I got into talk radio and that's where I really found I enjoyed discussing issues. Can I be more honest? I enjoyed arguing. (laughs) I enjoyed throwing red meat and Rush Limbaugh led the way. And so I kind of rode on that wave in the late nineties to uh, a talk radio career starting in Southern Utah. And uh, now I'm up in the Salt Lake area, but I want, I want to make clear, I am not the red meat throwing, you know, hardcore conservative identified by my labels host that I once was. Um, Somewhere along the way, I became fairly good at generating an audience by creating controversy. But I also came to the realization that this is making people riled up, but it's not really doing anything good. And so I have taken a slightly different approach. And and this is where I, I feel a kinship to you, even though ideologically we might be um, you know, on slightly different places. I see you trying to do more good than simply generate an audience, you know, for the sake of controversy. Yeah. And two things, two responses to that. First of all, I already said this off tape, but isn't his voice like honey? It's like, it's like honey. I love listening to it. So it makes sense that you do this. And the second thing is, yeah, we were, t- you know, I was talking with Brian, Brian and I, um, we, and we can talk more about how we met too, but I, I work in communities and I've seen the importance of building bridges to, in order to move forward progress and healing. And, and those are things that I'm interested in. And so Brian and I have had a few conversations and I've just been so impressed with the way that you have been so generous with me. You know, I'm kind of this crazy raging liberal. And like you, probably in my 20s, I was what you would call a social justice warrior. And in some ways, I'm still a social justice warrior. Uh, I, I will... I have all these like values and principles and meditations and then something will happen politically and I'll just pop off on the internet, right? And make a bunch of people mad. So uh, I'm really trying not to do that. I'm trying not to be so reactionary, but I do come from uh, like a background of being an activist, a Marxist feminist activist. I've been to a lot of like protests. I, I'm what you'd call a liberal snowflake. And also, I'm very interested in dialogue and meaningful dialogue. And, and I think at heart, I'm actually someone who, who just wants to put good in the world. And that's what I'm interested in. Whatever you're doing, you must be doing it right. Because uh, I, I first heard about you. I met you during um, the Bundy family's trial last year. And uh, I, I had not heard about you before that. But once I, I said, oh, who's this Lindsay Hansen Park? And I, and I started looking into who you were. I was like, wow. She has a real audience. I mean, you have you have generated a great deal of support. So your passion has obviously made its mark. And there are people who follow you and I'm sure appreciate your take on things. And the fact that you can do this while uh, working towards dialogue, I think is very admirable because 
there's so much division out there right now. I, I know you get frustrated with this too. Yeah. And, th- and that's why Brian and I have been talking about this because I have seen Brian model what I'm talking about here. We both, we have very deep, strong opinions. We're passionate about things. And also, I think we both want the same thing. We want to put good into the world. We want to make change. And I've noticed that people listen to folks like us for several reasons. One is they want to hear their opinions sort of parroted back to them, which is totally fine. I do that too. I like listening to people. Sometimes it's just refreshing to have a dialogue almost with my own opinions. People listen to us to learn new things. And I think that there's a small amount of people that listen to be challenged. And that's what I'm really interested in right now because challenge means growth, you know, and we can't really grow if we aren't challenged. And so I'm kind of, you know, in the work that I'm doing now, I'm looking for these challenges and and disagreements as opportunities to grow. And so, yeah, I think you and I got together and we thought, let's just have a dialogue and show people how we do it as we kind of fumble our way through this and maybe see if anyone else can learn something from this. I like it. I think it's a good approach. And, and the, the nice thing about this is we're not asking anybody to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. Exactly. And, and, I, and that's another thing I admire about you is you are a man of principle and you, I think you put your money where your mouth is. And, and I try to do the same as well. You're very kind and, and I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. So let's kind of get into um, some of the stuff that you do and what your audience is and sort of, are you comfortable talking about sort of what you talk about and what your show is about and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I want to preface what I'm going to say by uh, just about two years ago, I was unexpectedly let go from a radio position I held in in Cedar City and in Southern Utah. I had a show that broadcast in St. George and Cedar and, and had a good time. It was a good gig and I enjoyed it, but I felt like there was something more I needed to be doing. And And I know that you're a religious person. I made the mistake of, I actually prayed about it and said, okay, Lord, I feel like I need to be doing something more. Show me what I need to do. And within a few weeks, I was fired. And for for one of the few times in my life, I looked at it and went, I think that was supposed to happen. And so since that time, I have moved to northern Utah, spent a year working with Connor Boyack at Libertas Institute as his development director. And then I met an incredible group of people because of the Bundy trial last year. And we have started an organization called the Loving Liberty Foundation. And over the last few months, I have been building a network that we are going to launch actually on Monday. And it's the Loving Liberty Radio Network. So I am now building a national platform that approaches the question of liberty with emphasis on um, the spirit of liberty, uh, personal liberty, private property, personal conscience, and just kind of a, a reverence for how we became a free people. Hopefully not as much red state versus blue state drama, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And that's why I'm glad to have you on because a lot of my audience are folks that agree with um, some of the things that you're doing politically. And also I have an audience where there's a lot of folks that would strongly disagree. And it sounds really interesting because like me, I mean, I just see so many parallels in you and I, like, like me, you're building, you're always building community, you're building um, things like this. And you've done that. You've been kind of the family spokesperson for the Bundy family. Is that fair to say? I became friends with Ryan Bundy about 13 or 14 years ago when I moved to Cedar City. And I, I had no idea um, what 
kind of events I would have a front row seat to by virtue of that friendship. But I was there at Bundy Ranch on the morning of April 12th of 2014 when the big standoff uh, took place later that day. I, I've been privy to these events, uh, privy to their trial. I became friends with Lavoy Finnicum, who was up there with them in uh, Malheur, Oregon, and then was later killed as as that event came to a close. And I still don't know exactly the reason why, other than I really feel like I'm supposed to be a good witness of the kind of people that they are and what they stand for, because um, I don't believe that they have been given a fair shake in the mass media, whether conservative or mainstream media. There's there's a caricature that's emerged that, that's not exactly truthful to the kind of people that they are. Yeah, and the caricature is is really big. And 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 see, I first got introduced to the Bundys when because of Lavoie Finnegan, he has some community and intersections with Centennial Park, and you know, I think that they held a parade in his honor when he uh, was murdered down the street or something. So I was like, what what is this like? Because I knew that the Bundys were LDS, which is a tradition I come from, and and I, I was just interested in that. So I kind of followed it. And I don't think I was prepared for how much emotion these guys bring out in like all sides, right? It's very fraught. So what has the reaction been since you've been involved with them? Um, for me, it's actually been very good, but I haven't been the one who had to sit in jail for two years waiting to go to, to trial. And I'm, I'm not the person whose name has been drugged through the mud day in and day out. And, and for whom there is immense hatred that is based on either incomplete or just, you know, uh, rumors. And it, so either incomplete information or rumors. And um, I will say this for people who ask you, you know, what, what kind of person, for instance, Ammon Bundy, what kind of man is Ammon Bundy? If I had to sum up the kind of guy he is, that is a man of immense faith. He's very humble. He has been willing to suffer for his beliefs and, you know, agree with him or disagree with him. That does give him a certain degree of authority from which to speak in that no one can say, hey, he's got no skin in the game. You know, he definitely does. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to say it, because, you know, when I met Ryan and I and I posted about it online, it wasn't something I really wanted to do. But I think the family was worried about my motives. And so, you know, I was like here and rightfully so, <laughs> which I didn't realize because I got death threats after posting pictures of, of meeting with them. But. Ryan was saying, you know, he was just, I wrote, I wrote that. I said, he is a man of great faith. And that offended so many people because they're like, you're saying he's great. He, you're saying this or that. And I said, no, I'm just stating a fact. I mean, I have never met someone and I'm, and I meet a lot of people. I do a religion podcast. I've never met someone with such surety of faith. Like it was just, it was almost shocking because you could like cut it with a knife in the room. It was so thick, you know, and, and I just, I, I don't think I was prepared for what happened um, when I met them and what happened after. And so I can only imagine the community that you're in, you know, because it's controversial. It's very controversial. It is. And I, and I have to confess, I have great admiration for you because of the heat that you took when you came out and said, hey, folks, we've been sold a false bill of goods, at least on, on this family, because I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, you sat, you broke bread with them, you talked with them, you asked hard questions, and you came away with a very different impression from how the media had been portraying them, and you paid a price for that. But I was like, wow, good for you, Lindsay, because that, look, there, there's very few people who value truth more than they value approval. And, and I'm one of them. I, I prefer, you know, people to agree with me, oh, clap me on the back, what a great guy you are. But the truth matters more. 
And for you to stick your neck out like that, that was a stand-up move. And it, it, it earned my admiration. And I'm sure even people who may have been opposite you before had to rethink, well, wait, you know, that's, that's a pretty, that's a move that's filled with integrity. They'd have to at least rethink their, their appraisal of you. And I would say the same thing about Ammon's recent comments about immigration, you know, from, I know that he has taken a lot of heat from his audience and his community because a lot of the people I think in community like to hear that we're all on the same page. And when he came out and said, you know, we're all God's children, you know, I don't like the way that this is being handled. The liberal side of like my audience was like, what? Wait a minute. Like, this is the first time I agree with this guy. And I... It's it, it's so interesting to watch because now there's a human face on this family to me. And yet I don't think I was prepared. I don't think I realized how much race was an issue. Like when I met with them, I had fr- I lost friends. They said, you are standing with racists. You're standing with terrorists. And it, and it was this sort of degree of like what I'll call privilege because these are just like these are my people. Right. Like this, they look like my uncles. And I didn't realize that a bunch of white guys with guns is scary to a lot of people. But for me, this, I mean, I'm just so immersed in this culture. And, you know, I grew up, we we have a, a shotgun contest at our family reunion. Like, that, that's my people. So I, I just felt like it was easier for me to have conversations because I, I just didn't see them as scary, you know. And, of course, I was a little naive. I didn't realize I didn't realize that there are some really extreme people that follow this on both sides, all sides, yep. whatever you want to say. But yeah, I, I don't think people, I, I don't even think a lot of people understand how, how invested some people are. Like I started getting um, anonymous people on Facebook messaging me and threatening me and, 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 and they were like people ideologically on my side, you know? And I was like, what? This is so interesting. I've never seen liberals act this way right our our story is that like we're you know we're the victims or whatever of of the opposite side and so it was weird it was just it was an interesting experience well and when you bring up am and and the pushback that he received for his comments about um immigration and and people need to understand he was not suggesting look i have the i have the exact plan that we need to do we open up the borders we do away with them we let everybody come in and the u.s government takes care of them he was saying nothing like that the only thing he was suggesting is folks there might be another way to look at this this besides the political dichotomies that we're supposed to be viewing it through and i think he said he told i talked to him today he actually has a show on our new on our network so anybody who wants to go to the source and, and hear him unfiltered, you can do that on Thursdays. It's called the Liberty Effect. But um, he had, a, I think, a quarter of a million interactions because of those Facebook posts. And it was probably 99 to 1 negative. And, people, and, and this time, the people who were calling him out were the very same people who had been supporting him throughout his trial. And they're saying things like, you put a knife in our back. You betrayed this country. You've spit on everything you know, that, that you stand for. But he was actually being perfectly consistent with the faith-based values that carried him and his family through their trial. And that's a way that I've approached this particular topic. Like, it's very much informed by my faith. And, of course, like, the faith that I have, a lot of people wouldn't recognize because I express it in my own way and I've had to earn that, you know. And I'm just thinking, like, anyone listening to 
you know, to this who have been introduced through you are going to be like, oh, she sounds great. And then they're going to go to my Facebook and be like, lies. It's all lies. Um, because I do. Sometimes I do. I pop off and <laughs> I just do. Wait a minute. You're admitting that you're human? I, oh, well, I, 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 I have, I have some human moments. Yes. Um, but you allow other people the ability to be human. And look, what it really comes down to, I, I don't have much use for politics. And that's something I had to grow out of. I, I actually had to, to recognize it seems like it poisons almost everything that it touches. You inject politics or you politicize something, and suddenly everything is a tug of war over who gets to control whom. And that is, that's no way to, to solve problems or, for that matter, to even just live together. So how do you talk about liberty without talking about politics? Like, is there, what's the, what's the way you approach that? Believe it or not, uh, one of the chief things that I do is I try to persuade people to wean themselves off that little daily bottle of political poison that uh, that a lot of them have grown accustomed to. And again, I used to be one of these people. I would watch the news, and then I would feel so justified in my anger. And But it took me a while to realize, wait a minute, I'm watching this so that I get angry and can feel justified for why, yeah, those guys are wrong, and that just proved what I know, and I'm right, and I don't have to you know, answer to anybody for this. You know, it... it it just, it, I feel smarter and I feel wiser because number one, I turned off most media. That includes, you know, Fox News. If there's something I really want to know about, I'll research it myself. But for the most part, I don't trust mass media to tell me what's going on in the world. There's, there's just too many, um, exclusions or too many things that are left out of the narrative that they share to make a really informed decision, unless you're willing to do your own homework. Yeah, and I've noticed that I, f- I feel like there we're like on the verge of something, you know, sometimes they call this time the information age. But I would say that is a common ground that that most people, regardless of their politics or religious beliefs or whatever, will is standing by that there there's this deep distrust of information and um, uh, what's the word perspective and. And, and things like that. And liberals would call it privilege, right? Like where you position yourself in the, in the debate. But it, I think that that's something that, that you and I have found to be harmful towards progress in the communities that we've seen. And it's hard because I need to be clear. I, I will never ask, you know, the marginalized who are being beaten up and hurt to come to build the bridge. Like, hey, guys, we need to build a bridge and you need to, you know, do it on your backs to to come to the table. I think instead it's it's those of us who can ha- can afford to have these conversations. We should be doing it and we should be doing it um, in ways that that move us towards a deeper understanding of of our shared humanity and that has gotten so lost with social media and um, I would say politics. It's, I think the whole entire country is exhausted, right? We're, we're, uh, we're, we're a nation that's filled with outrage and and this is is true all around. I'm not going to blame it on the left. I'm not going to blame it entirely on the right. Uh, One of the things I don't know you well, Lindsay, but as I have observed you and as you and I have talked, one thing that has come become very clear to me is you do not appear to be a person who is looking for a reason to either hate or distrust or even fear other people. And there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who have kind of been trained or allowed themselves to be trained to be enemy-driven. They want to be known more for who or what they're against rather than do the hard work, and it is hard work, of being a good person in all circumstances. And that means sometimes you have to be meek and humble and take it. 
<laughs> when somebody is is trying to rub your nose in it. But I, in my experience, and I'm going to harken back to Ammon Bundy as an example of this, as as powerful as his faith is, and, and Ryan's faith, which you had, had alluded to earlier, there's a humility there that makes it all the more strong than if they were going around thumping their chest and yeah, don't get much better than this. You know, they're they're very humble about it. And and that's interesting. This concept of humility, I've started to look at as curiosity in my in my own life. You know, um, we don't see curiosity sometimes as a good thing, but I actually I think it's humility. You know, this compassionate curiosity, like, oh, that's interesting. Let me let me know more about that. And again, I'm not talking to marginalized people who feel like, you know, who and and this comes from people who who have been constantly wounded. That's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people like me who who can afford to do this. This humility, this um, humility comes with faith, right? It comes with conviction. And otherwise, it's just certainty. And wh- what is that? You know, what good is that for us? So I, I really like that. I like what you said about that. And to to your point earlier about what were you saying about, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought, about faith and um just ha- how that informs what you do, how that informs um, how how we work. Faith is often seen as a religious thing, but because I've dealt with so many different religious communities, I think that there is a general faith in humanity that a lot of people hold. And we put that aside when we're hurt, right? And so, like you said, we're always looking for a reason to validate our own experiences. And that makes sense that we do that, but it's not always honest, um, sometimes our, well, I feel like our pain and our hurt and our scarcity can trick us into thinking that it's honest and it's not. I, I have found through experience that uh, the strongest people that I have ever met can afford to be humble. And, and that's usually, to me, that's one of the best clues that I'm dealing with a really, truly strong person. And, and th- this doesn't mean that and we agree entirely on everything. We don't have to. That you can tell when somebody is good, but um, one of the things that just verifies, yep, this is this is authentic, is when they are humble. They don't have something to prove, and I think part of that has to do with they've already won the the hardest battle of all, which was between themselves and trying to sort out, you know, what to, what is truth and and what is going to guide my heart. Where do I calibrate my moral compass? And if they've won that battle, they really don't have something to prove. So I, I hope that they're speaking truth. But you can tell the people who speak truth and, and don't have the need to win, those, uh, those are the ones who speak it in love. They take the hits when people um, lash out, and people will lash out because they don't like to bump into the you know, boundaries of their mental universe. But if you just take the hits with a smile and keep loving them, and it's astonishing how many people will come back down the road who initially reacted very poorly. But if you didn't fight back or you didn't return you know, some unkindness for unkindness, a great many of them will say, I've had some time to think about this. And whether they agree with you or not, they understand your point of view and are willing to consider it. Where if you, you know, rhetorically throw a bucket of cold water in their face, that just kind of makes them, you know, turtle up and I'm not going to, I'm not going to change my mind for anything. I remember I had a really good therapist who, uh, he was saying to me one time, you know, I think I was talking about this, this person in my life who was hurting me. And can you believe they were doing all these things? And, and he just stopped and he said, Oh, so you want to change someone by judging them. And I just it stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, Oh, wow. Yeah, that's exactly it. When has that ever been effective? 
it certainly hasn't been for me. And for my own part, I, I, I've talked about this publicly, but I, as a young girl, I was sort of the golden girl in my neighborhood and in my school and in my ward, or at least in my own mind, right? Um, I'm sure other people didn't see it that way. But when I was uh, 18 years old, I suffered from a really extreme e- eating disorder. And you can't really hide that. And so everybody around me was sort of in on the in on the thing. But what I did was I tried to hide it. I tried to keep it secret. And it's the shame and secrecy that, that sort of almost killed me. So I learned really early on that this search for truth that we're talking about that we both have in common, like the truth is there. It's just there. And if you don't seek it and call it out and acknowledge it, it's going to come out just sideways in unhealthy ways. And and so I'm really grateful that I had that experience because it's forced me to say, okay, you know, sometimes like there there's I'm wrong. And those things, like, I'm still going to be, be wrong, even if I feel really like I need to be right. And being wrong is such a gift. It's such an opportunity to learn something new. And that's not always how I approach things, but that's a value of mine to at least try. So that's where I'm at with that. Well, you, you've hit on something that I hope everybody would at some point say, hey, I can relate to that. And that is the fact that we are all going through a process and it's a learning process. So um, if someone says, I don't have all the answers, I'm not going to fault them. In fact, I actually respect them for acknowledging that. And, and I have to say that too. I'm very opinionated. You can't go on the radio day after day for 25 plus years and, and hold forth, you know, as a talk show host without having some ego and without having, you know, um, some self-assurance. But I've never been happier than when the need to be right was um, backseat to the need to understand and to be understood. And in fact, uh, I guess what it comes down to impact is how I measure how I'm doing in life. Paycheck doesn't really matter. Titles. Nope. I want to know, is this having a positive impact on people's lives? And that's, that's my goal. I see you doing something very similar. I mean, without putting you too much on the spot, what is it that motivates you? You're obviously a very passionate person, but at the end of the day, what does Lindsay want to see happen because you have the courage to speak out? You know, that that's a question that my therapist and I have been working out for a long time. Like, what <laughs> what is this about? Um, I, I think that there's a few things. I think like a fundamental part of my personality that I realized um, is that I need to be helpful. And, you know, there's a lot of ego in that. Like the story, you know, we talk about being selfish and people have this idea of, if you're helping, if you're not helping other people, then you're being selfish. And I just thought all of it's selfish, right? I have this selfish need to have the story about myself be that I'm a good person and that um, I'm helpful. And it's okay. Like in this case, selfish isn't a bad thing. I mean, at least I don't have a need to harm people. Um, the, the, the question is impact. Like you talk about like what I see as helpful sometimes isn't always helpful. Right. And I've learned that in some of these really fragile communities that I work with, some of these marginalized communities where I think I'm being helpful. I'm like, Hey guys, like you're in crisis. You need help. My life is so much better. Let me bring you over to my dumpster fire of a life. Right. Um, and so I've had to, I've really had to be knocked on my feet a bit but I think I think really one of the things that motivates me, and I don't know if this is healthy or not, but I am so grateful for the people who have walked with me in my life, and I just have to pay it forward. That it just feels it feels right. 
I also think that when I, you know, was in my building my platform and I just did it accidentally, I was just filled with so much rage. And so I've spoken about this, but I went through like a faith crisis with, with my religion. And when you do that, you're so angry. Like it's a process of grieving. And one of the stages of grief is anger, right? And a lot of us get locked into it. I was really lucky that I had people around me in my faith community that instead of judging me in those moments, embraced me. And I found that when I was embraced, my anger subsided. But when I was rejected, my anger grew. And I was like, well, that's a pretty simple formula. I can just validate others and love them on their journey because that really saved me so much anger. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. How about you? I, I'm afraid I'm in violent agreement with you. This is scandalous. <laughs> but but I love how you put this in that it's it it's more about becoming a source of illumination, not because, hey, I'm just that bright and I'm all that, but because other people have, have um, they have helped illuminate the path for you and I. Um, we have a duty to help others, no matter how you slice it and no matter how a person believes, every single one of us in some way is kind of slogging our way out of this swamp of misinformation and and false beliefs that we pick up and we carry with us for a lot of our lives. A lot of those beliefs are about ourselves, labels that were put on us as a kid. Um, and it takes a long time to really see the truth of what matters, not only about other people, but also what matters in, in ourselves. And so that helps, it helps me. And I believe it would probably, you can disagree with me if, if you don't agree with this at all. Does it not help you be kind to other people, even when they're, when they're being stubborn or when they're, they're at a place where they're just, they're not ready to examine any more truth. You can relate because, hey, we've been there too. Yeah, I love that. It's, and it's, I think it's, you know, that kind of cliche of like, you have to love yourself. And then, but I really do. I mean, I find that if I'm compassionate to other people, there's more space for me to screw up too and for them to be compassionate yes. with me. <laughs> so, and they'll cut you slack just like you're willing to cut them some slack. Yeah. And isn't that kind of what we're all doing is like asking for the space that we need to, to figure it out too. Okay. Can I ask you, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Please do. And if you don't know the answer to it, that's okay. But you you were talking about impact and I was thinking about that. This has been on my mind a lot. This idea of intent versus impact, right? Because in the, like I said, in the communities that I've served, I've seen a lot of good intentions. And yet some people, there are people that I know who have left fundamentalist communities, for example, that's one of the communities that I work with, who the intention was good to help, but the impact did a lot of damage, right? Um, good meaning people tried to help and some people had more damage in their exit than they did in their, in their, you know, growing up. And I've tried to, and I'm sure that I've done the same thing. You know, I've sort of blundered my way through this. What would you say, you know, I think about the Bundy family, for example. So you're, you're considered with good impact and you're making good impact on the communities that you're talking to. But what would you say to the people who are saying, you know, we don't think this is a good impact at all. We think this is doing violence to our communities. How is, is that a gap we bridge? Can we even bridge a gap like that? What do you think? It's one of those cases where, um, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to evade the question here, but it's very possible. And I, this is what I've asked people in the past. Is it possible that what you know about the Bundys and about what they're standing for is incomplete or that there might be more that, that even if you didn't agree with them, you could at least say, okay, but I, I see a little bit more of where they're coming from. 
the fact that they did not go out and institute uh, violence or initiate violence against people, um, to me, gives them an indisputable moral high ground. Now, I, I have to confess, even as a friend of Ryan's and even as someone who um, has known him, and I mean, I, he and I became really, we became close friends, and um, we were part of a group of friends called the Sons of Liberty. And there was maybe 10 of us, and we would meet together on a regular basis to look for ways we could be a positive impact in the communities where we lived. And we lived all over southern Utah. And every meeting that we had started and ended with prayer. It started, and, and, and when I mention that, it's, it's just because those prayers invariably asked, Lord, help us see how we can, in some way, be a cause for good. And it was astonishing, the different doors that opened up over the four or five years that we were meeting. And, and toward the end of, of that period of time, that's when all of this drama came down with the BLM impounding their cows and the, the standoff there in Bunkerville. And, and then later on, you know, the events at Malheur where they occupied the wildlife refuge. So um, I can totally understand how if somebody is going off what they learned by what was being reported in the papers or on the news or even, even some of the, the podcasts and stuff out there, um, if that's all you have to go on and if you had no firsthand knowledge, it would be very easy to judge them and say, wow, what a bunch of nut jobs. What a bunch of crazies waving guns and doing whatever they please. You know, it's, it's one thing to have this rugged individualism, but that's just lawlessness. Having been closer to them, having seen and heard where they're coming from, even I had questions. And so there were times I was like, really? Wait, guys, what are you doing? But I didn't have all the information. And I still don't have all of it, but I have enough that I'm like, I can make a more informed judgment of what their intent was. And the fact that they were peaceful in their behavior, the fact that they have remained humble and that against impossible odds, I mean, there's no way they were going to win. And then suddenly they are free. And unfortunately, there are still people who supported them behind bars, but the Bundys would tell you it wasn't their cunning and it wasn't their, you know, wit or even their money that, that freed them. It was their faith in God. And that's where they give full credit. They, you know, Ammon will tell you the Lord delivered us and we had no doubt that he would do so. Yeah. And when you talk about incomplete information, that is so perfect because that is how I approach the situation. And I did. When I went in there, I was shocked by their faith. Like, it was so familiar to me. I mean, we started the meeting, like, with prayer. I mean, I hope Ryan Ryan said I could say whatever I want, but I, I don't want to be irresponsible with that. Um, we started with prayer. He was so, like, and it, he just brings out the Book of Mormon. We start talking all, you know, liberty. And it was so interesting because that was a piece that I didn't realize, you know, um, how Mormon he is. Like, in, in a way that, like, I told you, like, I just understand because that's that's where I come from. And so I had an opportunity to learn about that. I had an opportunity to learn more about the BLM. And at first, I, I got to admit, like, I was like, these guys are conspiracy theorists. This is crazy. But then when I posted about it and I, like, I started getting attacked, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is terrifying that something's going on. So I had the opportunity to learn that that kind of information. And then I also had the opportunity to like talk to the family about this because I said, you know, people think that you're racist. And they were like, what? You know, where does that come from? And so we had the opportunity to dialogue. And I was like, well, if if you guys were black guys with a bunch of guns taking over something, you wouldn't be alive. And um, Ryan acknowledged that. 
He was like, I know, like, but this is like, this is what we did. And I said, and also, you know, a bunch of white supremacists like showed up. And, and so then we had this whole discussion about like where he positions himself and how he doesn't agree with that. And like, that is just not something that I knew because I just thought, I, I didn't know that there was a difference between like all these sovereignty movements and, um, what are they called? Uh, the gold fringe guys. What's, what's the word? Oh, um, yeah. You're talking about the sovereign citizens and yeah, and challenging the jurisdiction, yeah, courts and all that. There's just all this like stuff that I had no idea was even happening, and I think you're right. Like our judgment always comes from incomplete stories, right? Like it, it just does. And I, I think that it was interesting because I didn't, I didn't see Ryan as a man who would change his mind on anything. I was like, this guy, like he's just all, it's all certainty, but we had, we had a dialogue. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, at first he, I thought he was just going to preach at me and preach at me and preach at me. But at towards the end, like it was a dialogue and he could sit and hear what I was saying. And I didn't expect that. I expected to be met with someone who was going to, here's where I stand. There's no, and I, and I led with the conversation. I'm like, Ryan, I'm a crazy liberal. And he was like, that's okay. (laughs) You, (laughs) you can pray with me. Yeah. And I, like I said, I can afford to do that. It's, I'm in a space where I feel like I can afford to do that. And his family was just so gracious to me. Well, and, and one thing that I have learned over the last few years is that Labels are very overrated. And I mean, even labels I would use to describe myself. Oftentimes we look at, we look at, uh, labels as, uh, that's kind of the lazy way. I can make a group judgment or I can, you know, I can apply this label and then I don't have to do the hard work of actual observation. I think it was Charlie Reese, who was a newspaper writer from Florida many, many years ago, talked about how there are no two people in this world exactly alike. Even identical twins have different personalities. So if you have to categorize people, and, and some people kind of feel that need. Maybe they just have like this OCD. I got to put everybody in the right category here. But really the only two categories that, that would count are, look, a person and by their behavior, they're either decent or they're indecent. How they treat other people shows them to be a decent or an indecent person. And that may sound like judgment, like, you know, I'm trying to tell you what their heart is. But I'm saying you can observe how someone treats the people around. If they act with violence or if they act with intimidation. That's not a decent thing to do. If they act with kindness and if they act with persuasion, those are decent things to do. So those are the distinctions that matter to me more so than labels. But we have a world that unfortunately thrives on labels. And if someone asks you, Lindsay, what exactly are you? And you don't give them a satisfactory answer. They're going to say, you don't know what you are. Yeah. I I can't put a label on you. Now I'm frustrated because I got to pigeonhole you somehow. And and that's the thing. I, it's interesting to watch with this information age, right? Because we have so much access to information and opinion. And it's, you know, completely affected my life for good and for ill. But it is, we still have like this human need to sort of put ourselves in camps and put ourselves in these in these little groups. So so we know who's with us, who's against us. And I think that that probably made sense in society at one time. But as you know, we're all connected on the internet, it's harder and harder to do that because we live in community, but we also live in a huge community. And, and, and that's what I've, what I've noticed in working in these communities of people who, you know, I come in as I, I, I used to think I was this raging liberal 
and that they were these like extreme conservatives. But I realized fundamentally, we all want the same thing. Like you said, we want to be treated kindly. We want to feel love. We want to feel acceptance. Um, I would call it from my side, dismantling oppression. And, um, you know, I was talking to some of my liberal friends about this conversation and they said, well, that's good, but what are you doing to dismantle oppression? And I think the intent is the same. And I don't think I knew that before. I, but we, what, we what, underestimate the power of the individual too. Um, sometimes we get in the idea of this mindset that it's got to be big and it's got to be everybody at once. But uh, the, the most substantive changes that like, look at our own lives. You can probably trace some of the real turning points in your life to the moment where maybe one person or maybe just a handful of people believed in you regardless. And that was enough to carry you through like a really tough time um, or, you know, a difficult learning experience as the case may be. But the fact that someone was there to help you find your way home, so to speak, was enough. And, and that's what you're in turn trying to do, you know, for other people. So you've spoken about this a little bit, but can you talk more about how you came from being this, like, I don't know if you said the word extreme talk show host, but like, you know, sensational, you, you, you use the term red meat. I think that's kind of fun. So how, like, what was that journey like for you? Um, it was very gratifying at first to, to see, um, how many people would, you could build a huge audience by throwing red meat and by giving people demons to wrestle. They will thank you for it and think that you're a wonderful person. And and the biggest media personalities, at least in talk radio, that, that I have noticed over the years, the Rush Limbaugh's and Sean Hannity's and Mark Levin's, um, to name a few, really have built empires by giving people demons to wrestle and telling them, this is who you're against. This is what you're against. It's rare to find someone who is trying to help people understand the world around them, and even more so than that, how they can have impact starting right where they're standing. And, and so it's not uh, as sexy though, right? It doesn't sell no. papers and it's not page clicks. And, and that's the thing that's really hard with, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in the newspaper industry and, in, and are journalists, good journalists, but that's not what people want. People want a good headline and I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like good headlines grab me, right? They, they incense me. Um, but the stories are so much more complicated and messy and we're just not, it's so hard to capture. And, and I'll just use an example. I work with the FLDS community. One of the most frustrating things is, and I'm not exaggerating once a week, once a week, I will get an email in my inbox where people will say, Hey, you know, I'm from this production company or this network and we want to tell the real story of the town and we want to tell it differently this time. And so I'm like excited. Oh, differently. That's what they need because we're so tired of the same old Warren Jeffs as the evil guy. And it's all about him and, and, you know, good guy, bad guy, white hat, dark hat. The town is so sick of it. It hurts the town every time that story is told that way. So we, I'll bring in, you know, this reporter. We'll spend weeks there getting to know the people. And then it's the same old story because that's the story that sells, right? That's a story that people want to read. It's a story that when you know nothing about this community, it's the one that makes sense to you. And this is why I have a distaste for the media in, in general. I mean, I've come on. I've worked in the media or at least an aspect of the media for a long, long time. But I have no real use for the, the divisiveness and the gotcha kind of journalism that, that typifies a lot of, of media out there today. And, and 
some people may mistake what I'm saying for. So what we should do then is all stand around a campfire and sing Kumbaya and hold hands and exchange flowers. Well, you know, I, I'm not saying that would be a bad thing, but I think we have to be more aware of people who derive benefit from dividing the rest of us. And, and I'm, I'm looking at the media right now, conservative as well as mainstream, and they have built empires through division and through keeping people fearful and uh, set against one another. And I have the, I have the um, advantage of looking at the long view of history. And when you are going back through archives, it's so interesting to see what like the journalistic standards were now. And I actually, I actually do believe in journalism. I believe that there are ethics, but I also think that there are interesting things happening now in the world where, um, you can, I mean, I saw this in like the entertainment industry because I used to really love celeb gossip. You used to go to like the magazines for the celeb gossip and then then there was Instagram and the celebrities can kind of put their own story out. So we just have a lot more access to information now and to and ways to get the information in different positioning. That's that's really interesting. And you, I think you you're the one that calls it noise, right? Like there's a lot of noise out there. There is lots of white noise. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I like that because I I'm sure I've added to that, right? I have a platform and and people, you know, turn this on when they do their laundry or whatever. And I have tried to do more harm, more good than harm because I have the potential to do harm. I have the potential, you know, I'm dealing with people's stories. That's a big responsibility and what I don't think that I gave enough attention to is that when people tell their stories like we're sort of crystallizing it in, in, in freezing it in time. And then they go on to live their life and their journey changes. But all people know is that one moment of time when, when they're processing their story the way that they are. And man, again, that doesn't sell papers. Like, how do you explain that in a, in an article or in a podcast episode? It's, it's tricky, but I've learned, um, so because my audience is Mormon, I apologize if your audience is broader than that. Um, I come from a Mormon studies background. So I deal with all the different 487 Mormon groups that exist out there. And one of them is a community of Christ uh, known as the RLDS. They used to be the RLDS. And they have an interesting theological concept called, and it's theology, it's called faithful disagreement. And it's so interesting to me because it's like what you're saying. It's not every like it's not everyone holding hands and like agreeing. That's just, you know, compliance or complicity. What if you're agreeing to a bad idea? But faithful disagreement is this idea of people coming to the table and being able to to talk about it and to, and to honor everyone's experience. And that takes practice and that is not easy to do. And it means you have to be wrong. You have to be willing to be wrong. Sorry. And you have to be willing to like acknowledge that and hold someone else's opposing story with your own. And that's really hard to do. It is because we're, we're kind of trained, you know, there, there can only be one. It's like the Highlander ethic, you know, of, you know, there can only be one viewpoint that prevails. Uh, three words, uh, maybe it's four. It may be four words that I learned that have helped us soften that because people don't like to hear the word, but, you know, well, I, I see what you're saying, but you're wrong and I'm right. You know, okay. That <laughs> didn't go over very well. But if you say, okay, I see what you're saying. And at the same time, here's where I'm coming from. You're acknowledging those two viewpoints can exist at the same time. And, you know, neither one of us burst into flames or anything as, as the result of, you know, the, there, there may be validity to both of them. 
And, and of course, part of the humility we referenced earlier is the acknowledgement, I don't have all the answers. You know, I'm making the best guess that I can. And there's some things that, that I can say have, have uh, been settled truths for me. I mean, I'm, I'm for all, keep, all for keeping an open mind. But at some point, I've also found you do need to commit to the truths that, that you have received. But you can do it in such a way that it's inviting people to examine those truths and it, at their own pace and by their own choice to arrive at those truths as opposed to, uh, well, you know, you can see that I'm right. So go ahead. Tell me, tell me I'm right. That, that doesn't change minds. Yeah. And, and that's, that's so interesting because I have noticed as you and I have dialogued that you and I say the same things often. We just use different language for it. Right. So like what you use for Liberty, like the concepts of Liberty are things that I, can get on board with but when I hear the word it's so fraught with like political tension that I'm like oh it must mean this and this and this rather like than even in your face liberty yeah accept it <laughs> this yeah. is what it is and I think people would be surprised to hear Brian like you're saying like yeah you have to be able to be wrong or whatever because that disrupts this idea of like what you're supposed to be like the caricature of who you are and and I think the same thing for me too because like again if, if you were to interact with Lindsay online just like four years ago, kind of a jerk, you know, like online. But then you come into my kitchen and I'm a different person. And I think all of us as a society are learning how to, how to internet together, first of all. Like we don't, we don't know how to do it. Like this is new for everybody. So we're figuring it out. And you and I have just decided to try to model compassion. And I think we're going to continue to do that right that's our goal at least <laughs> yeah i have no plans of, of changing that approach you know for for a long time um it was important to be right and i loved a good argument i really i mean and and believe it or not that makes for pretty good radio that's one of the reasons i started listening to rush limbaugh was dang that guy can argue his point really really well and i still enjoy a good argument but it's much better when both parties can go away from that argument feeling like i understand better this issue. I, I have a better or more well-rounded perception or, percept or perspective on this as opposed to, you know, one of them was left curled up sucking their thumb, you know, in a feeble position because it was that brutal of a beatdown. But that's the mentality that seems to hold sway, especially on social media. So that's, I fight the battle all the time. I, I, I there's a snarky remark that comes to mind and I'm like, oh, I've got the perfect dig. No but I have to restrain myself and say, it's not going to help. It, it won't further the conversation. And that was so hard for me because in my early days of blogging, like I was snarky. That was what people came for. And, and I just loved it. I was like, Oh, it's so good. It's so clever. Like, look how clever I'm being. I'm having fun. And, and it was fun, but I didn't realize the impact that it was having, you know? And, and so it, that is a bit of a humility. Like that's a humbling process to realize like, Oh man, I have a really good remark here. It's really clever. It's really funny. And it could do some harm. And is it, but I don't know, you know, maybe people will start calling us the Kumbaya kids. Like we get together, we sing around the campfire and we don't, um, maybe this, this conversation isn't as interesting to people as like the Rush Limbaugh beatdown. But I feel like that, you know, that's filling a need that I'm just not able to fill. I, not always. I, I want to say that. But then again, you know, I get tripped up. I get angry. I, I, I'm i full of contradictions sometimes. And that's part of my process, too, as I sort. Passion is, is a good thing. 
and and without question, you bring passion to your causes and to the things that that you are working where you're working to make a difference. Um, and and I try to do the same thing. It took me a long time to learn um, what works on radio, but passion is a huge motivator for building an audience. Now, um, what it sounds like, both of us have have tried to come to some way of harnessing that passion, put it, uh, focusing it in a positive direction to where, yes, it gets people thinking. They wake up and they want to consider things, but they don't feel coerced or they don't feel uh, you know, philosophically browbeaten that now you've got to think this way. Yeah, and that's Does that what, sense? yeah, no, that's totally true. And that's what I realized when you guys were talking liberty, like that is what you're talking about because I, you know, those are values of mine, right? Like I want people to have opportunity, equity, uh, uh, the ability to be able to choose for themselves. And so, you know, again, liberals, we talk about everything as like privilege and and things like that. And those are values of mine. But I I would say um, it's sometimes we just have a mistranslation. Like you'll hear words I remember having that conversation with Ryan Bundy. He would say, he he would use some words and I'm like, and at first I was resistant to it. I was like, oh gosh, here we go. But then I realized, oh, that word means this to him or whatever. And it's, it's, it's about speaking these different ideological languages. And also like you talked about earlier, we don't have to agree on everything. Um, you know, some, some people would say that like when it's doing absolute harm, that's when we draw the line. And and I've had to work through that because I usually err too much on the side of compassion and not accountability. And so I'm trying to, I, I always talk about it in a triangle. I've got like compassion, accountability, and uh, something about self-respect. But uh, yeah, th- that's kind of my value system. And yeah, so that's my commitment is as you and I, if we further conversations that I will try to model those. I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect. And I know Where's that it will... I'll let you be human. You let me be human as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are some in our audience that'll say, but you guys are compromising the values. You're hurting me by having this conversation. And, you know, I think you and I will pay attention to that and also do the work in the corners of the world where we can do the work that we can do. So that's the best anyone can ask from us. Well, and, and there's something to be said for a person who can speak the truth um, in such a way that uh, that it, I'm tra- I'm using I'm using Ammon Bundy as an example for this. When he speaks, he he speaks uh, sometimes unpopular truths, and he has to suffer for speaking unpopular truths. And and this is pretty much what played out for him over the last week or so when he started making comments about the uh, migrant caravan moving through Mexico. But any person who is willing to speak the truth, who is willing to suffer for their beliefs. You better believe I'm going to give more credence to what they have to say, whether I end up agreeing with them or not. I have to take them seriously if they believe enough that uh, that they are willing to, you know, speak the truth, even when it is hurt. It, it hurts them or, or it uh, it denies them, you know, warm, fluffy approval, which is nice. But the people who i guess you know the heretics <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's worth looking at the heretics and, and seeing if if maybe they don't have something to look at that that's worth examining yeah i love that that's that's really beautiful and and likewise i'd say i'm really impressed when people change their mind and you know i think about like mitt romney not to bring politics in this but he was often called a flip flop flopper or whatever and and even though i didn't really like a lot of his politics 
I thought, the, what's wrong with that? Like, if a guy gets new information and changes his mind, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And so, uh, yeah, I when I see like that humility that you talked about, when people like people are allowed to change their mind with new information, that's how we all work. <laughs> that's just human. So, yeah. Well, um, Brian, is there anything else you want to say? I just want to thank you for coming on and. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to visit with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make you blush or anything here, but I really admire you for being willing to speak the truth at a time when there was a price to be paid for doing that. And, and you have earned my respect. And so it's an honor for me to get to sit down with you and, and hopefully some of what I've said, you know, um, reacts ne- uh, positively with, with your audience. And, you know, I would invite them come and come and take a listen. I can guarantee you, you'll hear things on the Loving Liberty Radio Network you're not going to agree with, but you may hear some things too that you'll be surprised and go, oh, hey, this makes a lot of sense. And they can listen to your honey sweet voice the whole time as it as it rolls they, forward they'll, they'll in They'll get ears. all of that and more. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I talk too much, but again, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, really, this is an honor. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on and taking a risk because I realize it is a risk for you, you know, like... Who knows? I could promise you one thing and pull the wool over your eyes, but that's okay. I will Photoshop you on uh, on images later on. So we'll just we'll just okay. <laughs> just I'd, I'd be curious to to hear. I mean, look, you know, it, if nothing else, it'll teach me. Now, next time when you when you say something, you should be sure you craft your statements like this. I'm like I Brian mean, Hyde is a socialist. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, yeah. And some people would say, I knew it. I, I knew, knew it, it all along. It was he just went on that podcast. And he, th- that's all it takes. Well, um, yeah, I hope we have more dialogue in the future. And how can people like find you? How can they follow you? What's give us give us information? The Loving Liberty Radio Network is an app. It's a free app, which you can get on Google Play or you can go to the uh, iTunes Apple or the iTunes App Store. Download it for free. We have podcast uh, archives of every show that we do. And, uh, and we just have some really good nonpartisan discussions that'll make you think. It can get heated, but it's, but it's not a scorched earth mentality. Hopefully that's, that's something that people would find refreshing. I'm going to be really interested to watch too and see how you do it because it's, it's tricky. Like it's, I know really well it's tricky, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and yeah. Anything else you want to add? Nope. Thanks again. Okay. The song you just heard is called My Disguise by Mikkel Douse. Her album is available for purchase on iTunes or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.